You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, this is Paul Flynn with Get a Radio for Tuesday the 24th of December 2019. Thank you all for tuning in. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Almost at the end of 2019. On tonight's program, we're going to be looking at a topic I've wanted to talk about for quite a while. I have kind of talked about it years ago, but I don't think I've gone to it in this much detail. But... Then again, it was a long, long time ago. I think I, I did a program about church attendance and church membership. And I think it was episode number 50, but I'm not recommending going back to it necessarily because anything in the last 100 shows, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if it was that good. But um, I, I keep them up, and um, unless I hear anything strange on them, I won't be necessarily deleting them, but I uh, won't be necessarily promoting them either. But we'll keep them archived somewhere. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Um, we're live here from about 10 o'clock, a little bit later than I was anticipating. So we're going to go through tonight um, something I've noticed over the years, and I'm not sh- saying that it's a completely new phenomenon. Uh, probably the thing that we experience now in the West, freedom to go wherever we like, and, and also kind of a, a throwing off of responsibilities has very much crept into the church and um, there would have been a time I guess a long time ago if you were a professing Christian or or anything you would have been a member of some religion you would have been a member of something okay um, now it's very different I suppose in the last mm, couple of decades I'm not saying when it started necessarily, but in the last couple of decades, definitely there's been more and more of this. Um, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church anymore, or other things like that. Well, we'll, we'll let's just discuss what that means and um, the dangers and all this kind of stuff uh, in, in, in involved in that. Because for the longest time, I have noticed uh, a bit of a trend with people who are very interested in kind of the stuff I deal with on this program, very interested, and in, you you might email them um, and very, very encouraged about the questions. Oh, that's great. And then you ask them um, sometimes, where do you go to church? And often they can't go to church or they don't go to church. And you go, oh, maybe there's not a church in their area. Then you do a little bit more digging. I'm not saying this is everybody that I've been in contact with. No. I don't know. I don't know everybody's situation. But there's times when I somebody might be very anti the charismatic movement or whatever else it is, and then you find out, well, they don't even attend a church, and they have no real reason not to. And they're in a city where possibly there's a number of decent churches in the area. So that's kind of... Well, Spartus, and even when I lived down in Dublin, I bumped into people, you know, sometimes you'd witness to somebody, and they say, oh, I, I am a Christian, and I go, oh, great, uh, where do you go to church? And it's like, well, 
something happened about 15 years ago and I don't go anymore. Uh, there's a lot of that going around, okay? So it's in regard to that that I kind of wanted to cover that topic today. The professing Christian who doesn't go to church. Now, just to let people know before we get into the topic properly, I hope to be covering something on the whole Bethel, the tragic case from Bethel. I heard little bits of it and I really haven't looked at it properly until today and I want some time to kind of think before I respond um, to that it possibly be doing a program in the next day or two after this by the way my plan is to get possibly get a few programs I don't know how what that number will be it may just be one more and that's it and then it'll possibly be off for two weeks because I have student uh, I, have, I have preaching trials on the 7th of January, uh, please give me your prayers about that. I'll be preaching in front of um, college committee, and also there'll be a congregation of people there. Um, <laughs> a fun event, uh, yeah. So, um, no, but I'm gonna. I'm trying to basically treat it like, I love, absolutely love preaching, but it's um, kind of, it's a bit nerve-wracking when you're uh, <laughs> preaching in front of uh, people you know will be scoring in a couple of days, and, um, ah, whatever, you know. So we would appreciate your prayers in that and that those who would be in the pews would be edified. That's the main thing, you know, not even the score or whatever, that God will be glorified in all these things. So um, so hopefully I'm hoping to be off about two weeks or just have nothing on next week um, and I'll just be focusing um, not entirely on that, but mostly on that. Um, what are the things popping up? Also, during the program, I'm going to try and stop every now and again and look at questions, especially with a topic like this. You might be listening to this. You may not attend church yourself. And what do you do? Well, we'll get into it. Okay, let's first of all start from the very beginning. Are you born again? Are you actually a Christian? Are you someone who is in union with Christ? This is the first question. Not did you make a decision at some meeting years ago, but how do you know that you've been born again, regenerated the Spirit of God? One of the evidences will be that you love the Word of God. You love God, and you keep His commandments. Right in the middle of the, the Decalogue, when it's first written down with the finger of God, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, it says, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. This is not about works. This is the evidence, the fruit of saving faith. Somebody's been born again, who's in union with Christ, will love the law of God and keep his commandments. Not perfectly, of course. None of us keep the law perfectly. If, if it was ever based on a law keeping, it would send every single one of us to hell. This, well, didn't see that wire was right in front of me there. If you're, if you're listening to this on the radio, you do not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, so, are you born again? 
And again, if you went to a meeting one time and you made a profession of faith, but there's been no change in your life from that point on, you cannot have any confidence in that profession of faith. A profession of faith by itself without works, not that the works justify you in a declarative sense. Uh, how I mean by that is we are not justified by works, but by the work of Christ, his merits. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Not of ourselves, not even the faith to believe, not even the repentance to turn to him originate from within us, because we're dead in trespasses and sins, as we find out at the start of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So are you born again? And you, you have to start there. And, and this equally applies to somebody inside the visible church or outside the visible church. And make your calling and election sure. Make sure you are a Christian. And there will be evidence. Evidence. This is not what saves you, but it is. it shows... It is not possible. If God has given you a new heart, out of that new heart of flesh, there will be new affections, new desires. You will love the righteousness you once hated and hate the sin you once loved. Not perfectly. Don't expect to be perfectly sanctified this side of eternity. That's not going to happen. If you believe that you've reached that point, you are in error. You're, you believe a lie. You make God a liar. It's very clear at the end of First uh, John chapter 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. We have to start here. And we're, here we're talking about a credible profession of faith. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And this is John the Baptist speaking to the Sadducees. Verse 7, But when he saw many of the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, that's John's baptism, he said unto them, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Now, is he saying, is John saying, go off and earn your salvation? No. He's saying to them, repent. Repent. Turn from your wickedness. And he knows by their works that they don't have a credible profession of faith. None of us know our hearts. But, for example... If someone came to a minister and the person that came to the minister says, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and then they get to know the person maybe. Now, John knew these people, evidently. He knew the fruit of their life. And if this person goes wants to be a member of the church, perhaps they are living with someone they're not married to. Perhaps they're a drunk, and they're known for it. And there's never been any sign of change in that. They're still the town drunk, or they're a homosexual. Or some other lewdness, 
that would say they've never been born again, they've never been regenerated, and then they should be denied baptism, and, of course, membership of the church. And look, this is for their own good. If, if a minister of... If a minister administers the sacraments to somebody, clearly, we, again, there's no infallibility with this. You're going to, if you're a minister, you're going to baptize people who, who will, as adults or whatever, will turn out later on to maybe not have been born again at all and apostatize in the faith. It's just going to happen. But at the same time, we're talking about now clear examples, clear examples We've got to be very careful. I, I hear sometimes people people get very mystical and because somebody went off. you got to go with credible profession of faith. There is fruits worthy of repentance. And then Matthew 7, um, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in wolves' clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So there is a difference between the person who's been born again and the person who's not. And this is not to say that there won't be sin. This is not to say that a true believer in Christ Jesus won't backslide or won't fall into grievous sins. We see numerous grievous, horrible sins in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul calls for church discipline. Sorry, I keep hitting things. Maybe I have to change where that camera goes. Um, he calls for church discipline, not saying, ah, oh, you're clearly not a believer. No, no. Go through Matthew chapter 18, call people to repentance. The, the, the question is not, do you reach a certain standard of fruit or all that kind of, we, we can figure out. The question is, have you been changed? Are you regenerated? If you've never been changed when you made your quote-unquote decision, then you have no reason to believe that anything happened at that meeting, at that, at that church, or whatever else at that point. You may not know very much. The thief on the cross didn't know very much. But the question is, have you been made a new creature in Christ Jesus? And do you hunger and thirst after the milk of the word. So there is a difference. Um, so there's clearly fruit, and the, that fruit is good works. That fruit is works in conformity to the law of God. Things that are pleasing before God. Now, our works, even after conversion, they have elements of sin in them, and they're only accepted by and through our Lord and, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we, we have no hope. Otherwise, none of our works, even after conversion, would ever be accepted. And this, again, is rewards. This has nothing to do with our entrance into heaven. That is purely based on the merits of Christ. This is purely speaking now about rewards. And talk about good works and things like that. And again, as an evidence. Now, do we trust in our good works for assurance? No, that's dangerous. We become very legalistic and very, oh, look at all the things I've done. No, no. Our assurance comes from Christ. We look to Christ. We, if, we are in, if we love Christ, 
But again, then, how do you know that you love Christ? You love Christ because you follow and keep his commandments. That's, it's very important to start there because rather than just saying, hey, here's what church membership looks like. Hopefully I'm not peeking there on the audio. Um, kind of going right over here. Um, hopefully it hasn't, if you could just let me know. If there's any problems with the audio, if you could let me know on the uh, the chat feed, that would be brilliant. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome, Benjamin, to the chat. Um, so, yeah, you have to start there. And um, examine yourselves and see if you've been the faith. Turn to him. Now, Again, the whole point of this is, and look, again, the whole the, the whole Bethel thing came up, and um, I was thinking about covering that tonight, but this is more important. This is more important because, the, again, there's so many people on the internet listening to sermons, and that's it. They think that listening to sermons on the internet is the same as going to hear or going to the service. Now, if you are housebound, if if you have an illness and you cannot leave your home, that's different. I am talking now about people who are physically able and the only reason they're not in church is because of them. Then we have a problem. And we need to get out of this, well, you know, they haven't gone to church in years and oh, well, you hear some really, really strange stories of people not going to church for years, sometimes even decades. And I'm not saying necessarily they're necessarily lost, but you can't have confidence that someone is born again. If for all that time, now maybe they got saved later, maybe they think it's a recommitment or whatever, there can be some confusion sometimes. The question is not, do you remember the exact time when you got saved? The question is, do you love Christ today? Are you following him today? And if you are following him, it's because the Spirit of God has changed you, given you a new heart, given you a new nature, given you new affections, given you new desires, that you love God's word and you want to follow. And when you don't follow it, the, the, the Father in heaven cha chastens you, chastises you as a loving father. Now, out of that, and that's the chastening aspect is talked about in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 8. Out of that, what is part of the law? Now, let's not lose ourselves here, right? To love God is to love his law. The very nature of God is the law of God. All the way throughout the scripture. If you love God's law, you love God. What is the law of God? It's summarized in a couple of different ways in the scriptures, but the two most well-known would be the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are a summarization of the law of God. In the New Testament, they're summarized again. Commandments 1 to 4, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. First two speak of idolatry. The, the third commandment speaks of blasphemy. Uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment speaks of the Sabbath, one, in, one in, um, seven-day Sabbath. 
And then from commandments 5 through to 10, love your neighbor. Now, let's go to 1 John. Out of that love, out of that fruit, that good fruit of conversion, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. What will that look like? What will that good fruit look like? Love for your neighbor and especially you should love your neighbor, you know, even if he's unsaved. But especially your brother in Jesus Christ, the one who is also in union and communion with Christ, the one who is being changed as well, imperfectly, and will have problems, of course. But is being changed and conformed into the image of Christ. The Christ, if you are a Christian, the Christ you claim to love. And here is someone however imperfectly, is being changed and conformed, may backslide at times, may mess up at times, of course, but is being changed and conformed into the image of the Savior you love, the Savior you've turned from, or turned to, sorry, and the one you've forsaken sin, if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, and you've turned to Christ, you will have a love, necessarily, for the law of God, which is the very character of God, and a love for your brother in Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, there's lots of 1 John you could read, but 1 John chapter 2 verse 10 says this, He who loves his brother abides, no, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he, going, where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Also, um, a very clear group of verses in 1 John chapter 3, where it talks about Cain and Abel, and comparing Cain, who was ungodly and of the wicked one, and Abel, who is righteous. I mean, it tells us various parts of the scripture, and the first time we meet Cain and Abel is back in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. But it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, um, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works are evil and his brother's righteous. Basically, he hated his brother's works, his righteous works. Abel, again, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, followed the example laid down by God, the killing of the animal, and offering that in Genesis chapter 3. You know, he clothed, he clothed Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, and Abel followed that example. He, he was an imitator of God in that sense, and Cain was not. And Cain hated his brother for doing what God wanted him to do. He's, his works were righteous, okay? Are you seeing where I'm kind of going with this? So you've been, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You love the law of God. You love your neighbor, second table of the law. You love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously imperfect in all of these things. 
and you will necessarily have a love for your brethren, it's brothers in Christ. First John chapter 4, verse 20 says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is and this commandment we have from him, and he who loves God must love his brother also. It is inconceivable. You see, it's very easy to say that you love God. Very easy to say. Um, James was very much dealing with, in the book of James, um, mere professions of faith, but no fruit whatsoever. That's kind of, the, that was the emphasis of the book of James. But if you love God, you will imperfectly love your neighbor and your, your Christian brother in Christ Jesus. Now, what if somebody says they can't stand the body of Christ? And this is kind of where this is going. They can't stand the body of Christ. I'm not saying that we can't have fallings out, and often, sadly, there will be fallings out in the church. And where possible, we should make amends. We should, somebody might have sinned against you 10 times, but you've sinned that one time. Repent of that one time. Always seek for reconciliation. Always, no matter how much you've been wronged. And is this easy? Of course it's not. Okay, what I'm saying here is, it is extremely hard in the flesh. But we must always seek for reconciliation. Sometimes it's not possible. We have done everything we can do. But we, we leave the door open to reconciliation. Church discipline, which we're going to talk in a second, is all about reconciliation. It's not about, ah, you did that, we're trying to get, you know, that person did that. We're going to get you out. I knew you weren't a believer. If it's in that spirit, it is dangerous. It is merely a weapon against the people you don't like. Now we're going to get on to going to church. And that's the first part. I'm being a member of the church. Now, before we go on any further, I just want to check if there's any. There seems to be a couple of... um. um just checking if there's um, a couple of comments or if there's any questions. Appreciate the, yeah, amen. I agree with a number of comments there. Thank you all so much for your very, very encouraging people. Um, uh, yeah, and look, if you're homebound, look, there. I know some of the godliest people, the most encouraging people. I... I love visiting people. You just see these, they love Christ. And when they see people who are their brothers and sisters in Christ, they lit up, their face just lit up. And I hope I don't start crying just talking about this, but our late minister, David Silversides, he couldn't go to church for the last, I don't know, six months of his life. I can't remember how long it was. It was extremely sick. 
he would have done anything possible to be in church. I'm not talking about people that are homebound. And you know what? Just a before we get on, we should visit people who are housebound. And we should encourage those who are housebound. And I, and I pray that you get regular visitation from your, your, the minister or the elders in your congregation. And if, and if that happens, praise the Lord. Um, but you know what? I have been sometimes the greatest encourager. I'm talking about to me. I remember a woman about a year ago, and she was housebound. She couldn't communicate anything to me. But I could just see it in her eyes. She really appreciated it. And she squeezed my hand. And all I could hear out of her voice was, thank you. And I, I heard it very, very faintly. And I tell you, brethren, that should encourage us. And I'm not here to kind of condemn people who are at, at all are housebound. You can't come, and that's the there's nothing you can do about it. And try and, if a minister calls to your home, try and get them to maybe read a passage of scripture and, and pray with them. It's not easy. And, you know, we should read, and not, not even just the, the minister. If you, if you're, if your friend is housebound, go to them. Now, it depends on the situation. Some people might be really, really sick and they, they can't take long visits, different things like that. Things like that need to be taken into account. But yeah, people who are housebound need our support, our encouragement, our prayers, our love and support. Definitely not condemnation at all. So just to, in case anybody's just joined the program and is hearing it now, again, this is housebound people. No, this, this is talking about people are healthy, and they won't go. And another thing is too, a lot of housebound people, I know they're members of the church. So um, that's just another side. Anyway, so um, wonderful to hear from a number of different people that are commenting there. This seems to be an issue that has touched a lot of different people. And um, yeah, and if something I felt compelled to speak about. Um, amen. Yep. Um, and a, a brother who's writing there, a sign of salvation is to love the brethren. Absolutely. It, a fruit of that. And, and here's the thing. It's easy to say you love God because we can't see God. We can just, oh, I love God. I love God. But if there's no evidence or there's no, you can see your neighbor. You can see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can, you're dealing with people, brothers and sisters in Christ, imperfect, who will impose things on you, who will annoy you at times, you know, because we're all imperfect. We all do things at time to time that will annoy each other. Let's be honest. But how are you towards those people? That is a massive sign that, again, being nice to, to brothers and sisters in Christ is not what saves you. Of course not. That will be there. I remember the first, I remember two dates stick out in my mind. This is a bit of a personal anecdote, but I'll share it anyway. I was saved about a month. I went to my first ever evangelical church. was so nervous. Went in there. One of the greatest experiences I ever had. So wonderful. I was like, oh, they, they, they're preaching from the Bible. And I, I didn't, and just to give you a bit of context, I'd never met a Christian before I met 
I, I was saved for about a month. I hadn't met any Christians. It was through the internet I actually got saved. Part of the reason I do a lot of this stuff. But anyway, um, but I was saved a couple of weeks. Hadn't met a single Christian. And um, went into the evangelical church. Spent hours with these people who were believers in Jesus Christ. And it was, it, it, will, it will always stay with me that day. I was like, oh, you like the same things I like. You know, this is what I'm saying. You're a, you're a believer. You're a Christian. You're going to want to talk about Christ with other Christians. Otherwise, something is deeply, deeply wrong. And where are you going to do that? Where are you going to fellowship? Where are you going to hear about Christ? Where is your soul going to be fed? In church. There is no substitute that comes even close. And we're going to talk a little bit about preaching and the difference between preaching and, and lectures and even what, what I'm doing here. Even though it might sound like I'm preaching to you, but there is a difference. Anyway, so um, appreciate a lot of the comments coming in. Okay, um, so a brother here says, um, one says, I'm not a, I attend a church. And look, at least you attend a church. Start from the start. I, at least you're attending a church. Sometimes you might be attending a church and for reasons that are not really your fault, you can't join the church. Perhaps you're a Baptist and there's Presbyterian and the Presbyterians don't want you to join because whatever, or vice versa. There might be some reason. Um, even if you don't, what I'm saying is perhaps the issue is on the church's side. You should be able to, a church should allow you to join as long as you have a credible profession of faith. You don't, don't look, I'm talking to elders here. Don't look for a PhD from people joining your church. There are babes in Christ out there who need a spiritual home. Welcome them with open arms. Are they going to make messes like babies? You know, at times, yes. They're going to make spiritual messes, of course. But you guide them, you love them, and you care for them. A credible profession of faith. That's all you, that's all you should need. That you're willing to submit to the church in its teaching and to follow it. And that, that your life will be consistent with your profession. That's all we, and I say all, quote-unquote, um, in our denomination. Um, but sometimes, sometimes you might be attending a church, and it might be a very good church, and for reasons that are outside of your control, you can't become a full member, okay? I've heard of various different stories. Churches, for very different reasons, they're, they're, very, protect, they're very protective and maybe hyper-protective at times, of people who get into their church because of bad experiences in the past or whatever else, um, at least go, okay? That's the minimum you can do and fellowship and grow, everything else. But there is... Hmm. Nice person has joined the chat there. Okay. So, um, now, let me look. Where was I? Now, So attend a church, at least, okay? And by a church, I mean this. And you know what? You can have a church outside. You can have a... It can be in someone's home. Now, be careful with the, home, the whole home church movement things. There's no authority. The problem with the home church movement is nothing to do with the location where they meet. You can meet out in a field. It doesn't matter. 
might be not conducive if you get a lot of rain like you do in this island of Ireland where I live. But um, it doesn't matter where you meet per se. People have churches have church buildings purely for one reason: convenience, so that we know where it is. And damn um, often it's hard to get more than I don't know fifteen people into a living room. So um, we're talking about God's building, which is essential, and the building blocks are God's church and the chief uh, God's people. And the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ and the foundation, the apostles, and his teaching. So, um, getting through the questions, before we get on to before we get on to our next point, which is, um, let me get, church discipline. We're going to look at church discipline. This all ties together. This all ties together. Because unless you're a member, church discipline can't function for you. Okay, now, so, yep, praise the Lord. It seems to be a brother there from Scotland who is uh, joining us. Um, that's wonderful that you have joined us. Okay, so, right, our next point, church discipline. And we're going to have to look at Matthew chapter 18 for this. Um, and, and church discipline should not be thought of as some scary thing to catch people out <clears throat> or in order to get rid of, Possibly people you don't you don't get on with or anything else like that. It, it, it never, ever, ever. And if you ever have that attitude, and brother and brethren, I think we all do at various times. I did years ago, not really understanding church discipline properly. The whole point of biblical church discipline is reconciliation, primarily to God and to one another. So you have peace and unity with one another, not just platitudes and people say this and don't talk about that. No, no, proper, true reconciliation. So um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now you probably say, well, I don't need to be a member for this to take effect. And it, there's a level of truth to this, but there's a con there's a greater context, excuse me, in this. Now, you also got to think about, Jesus was talking about this in the first century. Who are the brothers? Where was God's church, his congregation, his kahal, translated in the Old Testament, which could also be translated church or congregation. Um, Septuagint sometimes renders some of these terms from the Old Testament congregation to ecclesia, which is also the same word we have in Matthew 16, 18, church. The nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, Judea at the time and the region, was that area that professed faith in, in God, in Jehovah. Now, were they very faithful? No, they were largely apostate. There was a lot of works religion, um, but that was what they were, that was the visible church on earth at that point. So when he's talking, when Jesus is speaking about tell your brother, they're members. They he's speaking to members. You don't have to explain it to a first century Jew who is a believer in Jehovah, what is which is the covenant name of God. 
which goes right back to Genesis chapter 2, Elohim in Genesis 1, Yehovah in Genesis 2. Also called, you know, the Tetragrammaton. Um, so if your brother sins against you, your brother sins against you, and you could say familial as well, but they were brothers in the same covenant. They were part of the same covenant community. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he bears you, you have gained your brother. So that's the first level of church discipline. Someone sins against you personally. And we're not talking about public sins now. We're talking about somebody's done something wrong against you. Go to him, tell him his fault. And if he repents, you've gained a brother. Now, I would encourage people not to be petty and not to be nitpicking with things when they get to things like this. But if it's... And when you go to that brother to point out the sin, it's not like, aha, I got you. It's more like this. Brother, I don't think you should be doing this. And you're concerned for that brother. You're concerned for your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ that they would repent in that area. And here is a sin which would get between them and God. And the more they repent, the more they change and are conformed to the image of Christ. You have gained your brother. So again, the emphasis of biblical church discipline is positive. Now, number two, second level. Verse 16, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. So you're not going by yourself the second time that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. I suppose it's kind of a sense in which no false accusations, there's no he said, she said kind of thing. It's more, you're bringing witnesses with you. They may also be witnessing, to, testifying to the, the, the sin of what was involved in. So you're trying to reconcile one among another. You're starting off one on one, and then later on you get some hopefully mature, godly friends, okay? This may be an elder, but you haven't gotten the church courts involved at this point. Now, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. This is when it gets more serious. No longer is it one-on-one -on -one or with a group or whatever else it is. Now it's going to the elders of the church. Now it is going to, and this will make a lot more sense if you're a Presbyterian. At this point, it would be brought to, now this is if, if it's personal sin and then they don't repent of that. It might be public sin and it might go immediately if it's depending on the severity of it, might go immediately to the eldership. I mean, if somebody's caught in adultery or something like that, well, that will be such a case. And look, don't look for perfection. Per 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 no. <laughs> Can't even speak here. Don't look for perfection. You're not going to find perfection. Elders are weak, feeble, but they serve a righteous and holy God, an almighty God. All 
men are going to make different judgment calls. You're going to get discipline cases where you go, I can't believe he did that. I would have done that differently. And uh, yes, you may well have. And perhaps your judgment might have been better. But God has put them in that position and not you. And there's a reason. And it can happen like this. I remember years ago, sometimes you might kind of go, mm, I don't know if I agree with that. Then years later, in hindsight, in hindsight of experience or whatever else, you kind of go, oh, that was a wise counsel. Well, that was wise counsel or whatever else it is. So the Lord has put elders in place for that reason, to watch over, to guide you, to lead you to be overseers, spiritual overseers in the body of Christ. Okay. Now, so it gets that serious level. If you're an independent, hopefully you've got at least a couple of elders you can go to, and it's not just not just one minister or anything like that. That's that's kind of rough. Um, that's that's it. Really won't work. Um, but you bring it to the church, and this is not bring it to everybody in the congregation. I want you to think of it like this. Does it make sense that everybody in the congregation gets a vote on something as serious as excommunication or anything like that? The person who's just joined the babe in Christ gets just as much vote as somebody else. I hope it makes sense that that makes no sense whatsoever. You're bringing it to the church court. You're bringing it to Acts chapter 15, an issue relating to the wider body. Elders, now they're apostles, but they were basically functioning as elders as well, come together and come to a ruling which has a, a bearing on the wider church. Now you probably say, well, you know what I mean, they, that was just back then and that was just for the first century. Well, think about this for a second. Why do they meet? I mean, the apostles could have just written an epistle and said, here's what you got to do. And they weren't doing anything unusual. The idea of the elders getting together and ruling, that goes right back. There's been elders right back to the book of Exodus. Elders weren't something new. Deacons were introduced, of course, in the book of Acts. But elders were not. And the elders come together. You had kind of councils later on. And you know, the Sanhedrin, that idea is not new at all. The idea of a plurality of elders. So, but if he refuses even to hear the church, and he say, well, that's the church, that's the whole body. No, no, who speaks? What authority is placed over the church? Not that they're better or anything else like that, but the elders, Hebrews 13, 17. They watch, or I'm just going to go there, actually. My mind is blanking right now. I can't remember the exact that verse off the top of my head. Um, also another verse that's very, very important for this is Hebrews 10, 25, which somebody in the chat room wisely um, quoted to. But uh, Hebrews 11, 17. Sorry, 13, 17. Okay. Obey those who have rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and with not with grief. That would be unprofitable for you. So it starts off with 
I know people aren't a big fan of this term, but for the laity, and then it goes up if needed, and now the 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 elders in the congregation who we are called to be submissive to, where it's biblical, of course, um, but calls you to repent in that area, but that person refuses, says no. Won't even hear him. Let him let him be to you like a heathen, an unbeliever, a tax collector. And anybody knows what tax collectors, the tax collectors were one of the most hated groups. They were not allowed to join. They're cast out from the church. Now think about this for a second. If you're just attending a church, and look, I have friends of mine who I love dearly, and you might be only going for a short while, and that's okay. I'm not saying you have to join immediately a new church, okay? Just give some context here. You might, some churches, you might be going there for three months, and you join a little bit later, or you're praying about it. But at the same time, you're going towards that goal of you want to join, you want to become a member, and you're putting one foot in front of another in order to get to that stage. To you, I, I'm not coming down on you, okay? I'm talking about the person who has no interest in membership. None. And when, if you're not interested in membership, you can't be disciplined by a congregation. If, if you're just attending a congregation and you're living in, 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 in sin with a woman out of wedlock or something like that, or you've got a, you're drunk, what can be done? How can you be put out of fellowship when you're not even a member in the first place? So this is why membership, not even just to be, yes, first and foremost, so today, Gloria, to, to God alone be the glory, because you want to obey God. That should be the first motivation. But also for your spiritual growth. There's a sense in which we will, if we are accountable not just to the elders, but Christians around us in the body of Christ. It should make us, it should encourage us, it should motivate us to be more godly. And not only that, we want to be in such a way that if we do point out the sin in others, in order to bring about this reconciliation that we so desire, we're not going to them as hypocrites. Because hypocrisy is condemned. If you're, if you're guilty of the same thing, say nothing. You've got your own issue to deal with. At the start of uh, uh, Matthew chapter 7, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with that judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use. So not only that, it, you will grow. You will grow far more as being a member of that imperfect church, you might be a bit, mm, I'm not sure, then you will in spiritual limbo. And again, I know that there are some people that they might be attending a church for a while and they're not quite at that stage for membership, but I don't wait around for too long. Um, as long as you don't have to agree to anything that's contrary to the scriptures, you're not going to agree with the, the church and everything. You're not. Find, look, find the best church in your area. Not, a, not something a million miles away. I'm, I'm not a big fan of traveling like hours. I know some people in the United States do that. I, 
the problem with that is you you just can't have that close fellowship. Was it last uh, last May and June where I did my um, placement? It was such a wonderful experience. You had people who just lived close to each other. Now sometimes that's not possible, but it's so wonderful. You've got next door neighbors, and you're so close to each other, and you can really help. Because the problem is, if you live two hours from the church, what happens if something goes wrong? What happens if your wife is suddenly in labor? Your brother in Christ is three hours away and can't help you. There's little practicalities like that. And that's why I say, it, it, try and be close to your church. But find the best church you can possibly find that has the three marks of a true biblical church, preaches the gospel, administers the sacraments, and, and, and practices church discipline, however imperfectly. So, um, yeah. So in order for church discipline to have, or, or these commands to mean anything, you got to be a member. Otherwise, there, there is no mem. If there's no membership, what can you be excommunicated from? How can Paul, as it says in First Timothy, hand you over to Satan? But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So we're going to look at First Corinthians chapter five next. And you don't want to be church hopping. You might be just attending for a while. So you don't want to be church hopping. You want to pray about it. You want to go, okay, if I join, this is my home. I'm not going to be like, mm. there's a danger too of staying too long, just attending one place and then possibly don't church hop. Commit to that church. Ask yourself why you're not committing to that church. Why? There could be various different reasons. I don't agree with them on this. And? Is the gospel preached? Is the gospel preached? You need accountability. We all need accountability. Because when we are cut adrift from accountability we're far more likely to fall into sin. We're far more likely to backslide and not even realize it. Look, brethren, I did this years ago. I'm not even saying that I didn't do this. I was saved about 18 months. I was traveling around Italy. Didn't go to church for about a month. Got more and more convicted about it. Eventually, um, I just... And my pastor at the time, he rightly pointed out that I should be going to church. Didn't let me away with it. And he was right to do that. I, I praise God for that. So I started Googling like crazy. Um, internet wasn't that great back at the time, and especially in Italy. This is what, two, 2010 or something like that, whenever it was. And I eventually, you know, because I gave up too easily. Oh, well, that's a liberal church. Oh, well, I kept searching. I contacted everybody. And eventually, I found an evangelical church right in the center of Italy, where I met my wife. So the Lord blessed it. <laughs> so look, whatever, wherever you've been to this point, repent of it if you've done anything wrong and go forth from there. Repent of it and just get into a church. But I haven't been in a church for five years. What are they going to say to me? If, they're, if they love 
If they're loving, they'll just embrace you. If you haven't gone to church in a while, you know, just start going again. Right now, don't even think about membership just yet. But just start going. I know there might be a sense of which, oh, they're going to, they're really going to get on my case now because I haven't gone to church in maybe a couple of years or whatever it is. Get into a church. Because we're going to talk about it in a second. What does it say about you? If you don't want to go to church, if you have no interest in going to church, if you have no interest in the bride, who are you also saying you have no interest in? Think about this. You know what? I want you to come to this conclusion. If you're not going to church. Oh, but the, the church down the road, they've got this, this, and this problem. Are you perfect? They may well have that problem. But are you saying, I will not step forth in that church unless it is completely in agreement with me? <laughs> oh, that's great submission. I'm not trying to be facetious here. Maybe I am. But do, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Are you going to a church with a shopping list and say, it must, you must bow to my commands. You must be interested in these internet theories. You must be... You must know all about the Jesuits. And I've come across that. You must know all about the Jesuits. I can't believe he doesn't know that Tim Keller is a heretic. Maybe he's too busy. I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but you know what I'm saying? We can find all these silly, silly, silly reasons. Every, by the way, every minister has different strengths and different weaknesses. And that's why they're in a session with, with elders around them, hopefully supportive of the minister. And that's why you have, Lord willing, presbyteries, if you're a Presbyterian like I am. And because you've all got different strengths and weaknesses, you know, there's different parts of the body of Christ. Praise God, there isn't, the, the Bible doesn't call for one minister to rule over the church. Well, that's Episcopalianism, but that's another issue. But, um, and it doesn't end well. Now, so, so praise God. Yeah, that's, that's great. Somebody just pointed out that they found a good church in their area. Praise the Lord. Okay. Look, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm not saying to <clears throat> all Baptists or something, flood out of your churches. No, I want you to, look, of course, I, being a Presbyterian, I would love if everybody was Presbyterian, but there's even more important things than that. You must be going to a church. You must be a member, okay? Be a member of a church. And if you are ever, if you, perhaps you studied through the scriptures and you change your convictions, perhaps on the mode of baptism, or, you know, something like that. Something very, very serious where it's like going, you know, which is what happened to myself and my wife. You know, we changed our conviction on baptism. I was studying through the scriptures, and this is something that maybe went back and forth for a couple of years in some ways, and then I really seriously dived into it for a couple, about six months or whatever it was. But my wife was having twins, and I felt more compelled to look into it. It's like, well, I can't baptize my children 
in this Baptist church. So I got to move. But that's, that's a good reason to move. But don't be church hopping. Commit. You're not going to agree with them and everything. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Um, and then the last one. And feel free, guys, if you've got any questions, and hopefully I've made it clear. Again, I am not condemning shut-ins. At all. At all, at all, at all. And I pray, I pray that people are visiting you. And I pray that you have, you know, some people, you know, maybe can't read the Bible. You know, sometimes you say, you need to read the Bible every day. I can't believe you're not reading the Bible every day. Some people might be blind. Some people might not be able to, you know, might be near the latter stages of their life, might be in a wheelchair and don't even have the motor skills to do it. But if you're able-bodied, do it. Do it to the, the best of your ability. Do as much as you possibly can do. Reading the scriptures, fellowshipping as much as possible. It, look, it's also possible. It is also possible you live in a place extremely far away from any church. That there's, you know, you live in the middle of Saudi Arabia. There's not many places that this applies to, by the way. Especially in the West. Anywhere with a telephone, I don't know. Anywhere with, I don't know, anywhere in the West, there's some way of getting to a church. And you say, well, there's just no churches in my area. They're all apostate. Every single one of them is liberal. It's just the Roman Catholic Church and nothing else. Are you saying go to Roman Catholic Church? No, that's a false church. It's not what I'm saying. Move. If that is you, if that is the last case, move. Might take some time, might take a while. We move for physical food. And what I mean by physical food, you don't you can't get a job in this place. How quickly will you move to another area? I hope you will, and get another job there if that's where the work takes you. And there you said it's a spiritual wasteland. You go where God's people are. And that is your main priority. And perhaps you have to pick a lower paying job. You know, there's two towns in front of you. Town A and Town B. Town A offers a huge salary. Twice as much as Town B. But Town B has an excellent church. And in Town B, you're going to be just barely getting by. But there's a church. What do you do? Oh, this is... Is this a difficult thing? In that situation, and of course, a lot of life's decisions are not that clear-cut. Of course they're not. But in that situation, of course, your first priority is worshipping God. Soli dear Gloria. And God will bless that. God will bless that. Follow him. Seek you first the kingdom of God. And all these things, whether it be clothing, physical, whatever else, will be added unto you. But what does it say if you won't go to church? What does it say if you, you're, you're constantly making excuses, you have no interest, you run away, and all you can say is, well, you know, I had a bad experience with a minister 10 years ago, or I, something that it has happened. What does it say? Now, what does this, think about what it says to the world. What is a testimony to the world? You say you're a Christian, and you, you won't go to church. No church is good enough for you. Well, you're a little bit arrogant, if you think that way. What, no, what do you mean no good church is good enough for you? 
you are commanded to go and worship God. What a great privilege to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary, the Holy Sanctuary of God. This is a great privilege. Christ's bride, the one who he shed his blood for, and you don't want to spend time? Are you sure you're a Christian? Because what you're saying to the world, if you won't go to church, and if you cut yourself off in the body of Christ, then you're saying, you're saying to the world, you've rejected Christ. Now, in the early church, they had a sense of this, didn't they? They took it too far, of course. They were, I think it was uh, Cyprian, I'm trying to remember the quote off the top of my head, outside of the Catholic Church. Now, Catholic, he didn't mean Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic Church didn't exist in the second century. or was the third century. There is no salvation. And when I think of it, what a lot of meant by that is if you're not even a member or you're a part of the church, well, you're obviously not a Christian. Now, of course, they took that too far. Of course, they took that to a point where sacramentalism eventually crept in more and more and developed more and more over the centuries. And then you got, well, you, you can't be saved unless you've been baptized. And they, that's an extremity. But I think today we've gone to the opposite extremity. Well, you know, there's going to be lost people inside the church and there's going to be saved people outside the church. Yeah. But a believer will be a new creature in Jesus Christ. You may even, and I'm going to be very, very careful what I say, is you may even get a believer who has not yet left the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the Roman Catholic Church is a false church, but just say somebody gets saved. Say it's a Catholic priest like Richard Bennett. He starts preaching the gospel, and maybe the bishop just doesn't have time quite to kick him out just yet, as what happened to our brother Richard many years ago, um, who's now gone on to be with the Lord. What does that prove? Nothing. That's my point. I mean, is it possible that there are believers not members? Yeah, of course there are. And I know for a fact that there are. So, <laughs> you know, see, I think we have to not think of, well, I'm, I'm saved. I'm done. I'm okay. Oh, no, no, no. Don't think like that. What does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? Don't think of, well, you know, I'm going to heaven. I'm okay. That is a dangerous place to be at. And actually, when you're thinking like that, and if that is how you live your life, you're going to, if you are a Christian, you're going to be backslidden a lot. Rather than think, solid glory, does this honor God? Does, does, is this pleasing in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? That you're seeking to pick a church because the worship is more in conformity to the Word of God and you want to honor God. Because you love him. It's a really bad testimony. At, at the very least, it's a really bad testimony to the world. And think about it, if you haven't been to church in years, and you're like, no, the church, it's not a, it's not a building, or it's not this, and it's not that. I don't want to have, you don't have anything to do with the church. Not interested. Don't want it. Don't want to submit to those elders. Whenever something happens, you run, you might even form your own church, which is evil, by the way. 
I'm sorry, but it is evil. You have no, unless you've been sent by your elders to establish that church, you do not take authority to yourself and say, unless there's nothing, I'm saying now, this is, I'm talking about a breakaway or something like that. I am not talking about, say there's, say there's nothing for 50 miles and you get together. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay. And then you pray and you, you want to, you want a, a pastor. I want to emphasize what I mean here. But I'm talking about if you just say, don't like the pastor, gonna, gonna start our own thing. Based on whose authority? Based on whose authority? That's anarchy. You have no right to establish your own thing. And then people start, you see these people start, I mean, Dublin, where I spend some, is rife with that. Cork, where I'm from, I'm going to point out, is rife with that. I'm sure many cities across the world are rife with it. No. Make sure, make look, make sure wherever you go to church, whatever your ecclesiology, whatever your beliefs, that it is that that person has been ordained or at least has some authority to be there. When I go preach at a, at a church, I am sent out by my presbytery, by the elders in my area, that I'm not doing it off my own bat. If they tell me I can't preach anymore, then I can't preach anymore. There's oversight. I can't just say, you know what? I'm not happy. I'm going to take a church over here. No. And, and you know what? People should be warned against that. And it's common. No. And, and if, if, even if they have a membership role or whatever else would they want to have, they're cut off from the visible church. So it's got to be in submission to Christ's authority. There's got to be some sense in which there's some authority. There's sen- it's not just, do you understand what I'm saying? That it's not just, well, I'm not happy, so I'm just going to form my own thing. Which is basically going to, it could well turn into a cult of you and your views. We need to be careful we're not being unnecessarily schismatic. There may come points in church history where a, a breakaway is necessary. But there's enough gospel churches where I live in Northern Ireland. There's loads of them. Are we going in the wrong direction in a lot of things? Yes, sadly. But there's a lot of churches that preach the gospel. Filled with people who sincerely love the Lord and are hungry. And are hungry. We may not be as a church on this island where we ought to be, but there's hungry people there. And then Scotland, England, there are churches, however imperfect, that preach the gospel. Okay, we're going to finish off probably about there. Um, Hopefully in a few days, unless there's any questions pop up in the next few seconds, hopefully in the next few days, we're going to deal with that issue, that really, really tragic issue. Um in Bethel with that death of that two-year-old. I don't want to talk about too much here. If I get through the material tomorrow, I might even comment on tomorrow um, because I am, I don't know if you know about my position on the the so-called festival associated with December 25th. Um, It's another day. Um, It happens to me when the world doesn't seem to travel very much. I have no idea why. But <laughs> anyway, so my pl- the plan is anyway, if anybody's got things they want me to look at, it'll be 
probably this week because next week I'm not going to be doing any programs at all. Um, it'll be purely focused on me going back to college, so I won't be doing any programs next week. But if you'd like me to cover something, get it in this week. You can email me, Films at gmail.com. And um, don't be afraid to ask questions or whatever. And look, maybe, just maybe I can help you find a church or whatever, but look, um, look, I think sometimes people might be afraid to go to churches. They might be afraid, oh, that place might be liberal or whatever. You can always leave if it is preaching a false gospel or whatever. But don't use that as an excuse. There's Google. There's so many search engines with churches probably all over your area. It's been Paul Flynn. Thank you so much for tuning in. May God bless you all.